This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the World of UX Podcast. My name is Darren Hood, I'm your host for the session. Today, we're going to dive right in and we're going to start covering part two of what is UX. But before we do that, let's do a very quick recap of last week's segment and get everybody up to speed. Thanks to those of you who are joining us for the first time as well. So last week, we spent time talking about what UX is not. So don't want to get into uh, in a lot of detail here and I'll be tempted to. But I want to run through these so we can get to today's highlighted content. We talked about how that UX is thought of by many to focus on aesthetics. It's not. We care how things look, but that's not the main thrust of what UX is. We talked about how that UX is not UI. A lot of people think of it that way, but UI is actually a subset of UX, but UX is not UI. UX is not just one thing. A lot of people talk about UX and when they say UX, it's just they, they're actually referring to in their mind one thing that's being done, one very simple thing. But UX consists of a whole host of disciplines, methods, methodologies, quite complex actually. So UX is not just one thing. UX is not design thinking, and design thinking is not UX. We're going to be talking about that in great detail in an upcoming podcast. But I want to make sure that people are reminded that when you hear design thinking, it's not really equal to think of it as UX and you don't think of UX as design thinking. UX is a very complex subject and design thinking has its uh, its own benefits that it brings to the table. And it's not necessarily a wrong thing, but what's going on with design thinking today is a bit off kilter with regard to what we've been trying to do with UX now for the last 20 years. And it's something that we need to be careful about because it's causing lots of problems. But again, we'll talk about that in detail in an upcoming podcast. UX is not UX. It is never UX if it does not include insights from actual users. And one quick design thinking tidbit, many times when people engage with and they're doing what they're referring to as design thinking, isn't it interesting that a lot of design thinking efforts do not take users into account at all. That is a surefire way to take us all the way back to 1999 and the problems that contributed to the dot-com bust. But again, we don't want to get into that today. UX is also not limited to digital products. It, it's I know that a lot of us started off working on UX with websites and with mobile apps and with responsive and adaptive design and 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 a lot of it in our minds we were focused strictly on the digital but do you realize that you can apply it to so much more and on top of that ux is a pervasive discipline the thing that you apply to one form factor to one experience can easily be applied to something that's not even remotely close doesn't even remotely resemble 
where the original work was done. So just some things that we need to keep in mind. And another tidbit, little, let's call this a little bonus. For those of you out there that are doing recruiting, uh, you need to understand that UX is pervasive. It is something because it is applicable, because you can be a specialist in e-commerce, it does not mean that you cannot apply what you know about UX from an e-commerce perspective and onto UX in another arena with another form factor, another specialization. It's, it's not limited. UX is easily transitioned from one type of experience to another. So you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot and miss out on a good candidate because they don't know anything about your business specifically. So it's critical to know that and keep that in mind. We talked about what UX is. It's an application of several methods and methodologies that are geared at focusing on establishing ease of use for users when they're using your design, when they're using your solution, your product. So again, several things. We mentioned the four pillars of heuristics and usability. That's one, information architecture, UX research, and interaction and interface design. UX is, it encompasses all four of those things, as well as the 150 methods, methodologies, subdisciplines, deliverables, artifacts. There's so much going on with regard to UX, and we want to keep that in mind. UX marries user needs, business needs, and constraints that might come up when you're working on a project, whatever it is. However, those things apply to your project. You want to keep those things in mind. UX labors to find the sweet spot between all three of those. And then lastly, the science and art. UX is the science and art of designing a product, a service, and or an experience with a brand from end to end. We know about the art. The science is where things get lost a lot of times. So UX, again, it's a bit more complicated. It's a bit more structured than people think. And so we want to make sure that we keep those things in mind and it will set us on the right path for embarking on and embracing UX as it should be. And, and as many of us might be, in, and we might intend on doing it, but if you don't pay strict attention to how you're how you're executing, how you're approaching something, you could easily get off track. So please focus on that. Today, as it's almost like a one-off as we look at what UX really is, I want to take you down a historical road and talk about a few elements associated with user experience that many of us may not know at all. So this is really, really critical. And I want you to put your thinking hat on as we talk about what's happening. And let us go all the way back to look at some of UX's early operation. Did they call it UX? No. Did they call it human-computer interaction or human-machine interaction? Eh, sometimes they did. But what I want everybody to see, and I refer to this as ground zero when I teach some of my other courses, ground zero of UX, it even goes further back than 1900. It, goes all the way back to the printing press, for God's sake. But to, to just so we can help us to we want to be able to digest this easily, and I want you to be able to see the relevance of these things, as well as identifying some of the pioneers to help lay some foundations for what we do know and love today. 
So ground zero for us, for the purpose of this dialogue, 1900, approximately. There's a man by the name of Frederick Winslow Taylor. Now, this name is probably unfamiliar to practically everyone listening to the broadcast today. But I want you to understand what he contributed to what we do. He was known as one of the world's first management consultants. Again, not a UX person, a management consultant. He was an early leader who focused on how to make businesses operate more efficiently. You would not guess who it was that he worked with and where he helped to hone his craft, if you will. That's right, Henry Ford. Oh, and by the way, here's another little freebie, another tidbit. For those of us out there that have always said that if Henry Ford had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Guess what? Henry Ford never said that. So just a little tidbit. Let's get that out of our arsenal today. <laughs> Henry Ford never made that statement about the horses. Uh, people use that to try to justify the need and importance of doing research. Well, we don't need something that doesn't exist to make the point. And the last thing you want is for a stakeholder to find out that Henry Ford didn't say that, and now you're going to be back on your heels. So let's find out that something is right or wrong before our clients and our stakeholders do, and let's make sure that we represent the discipline with the absolute highest levels of integrity. At any rate, back to Frederick Winslow Taylor. This man was known for his ethnographic work with Henry Ford. He studied interactions between the workers and the tools they were using to build the vehicles or anything they were doing in conjunction with that assembly line, anything they were doing in conjunction with putting together those the, this new found structure, if you will, this new transportation medium. Uh, this is what, what Taylor did. He made sure to study it and he provided his findings back to Henry Ford so that they could optimize all the work that was being done. So he's studying that, trying to optimize the user experience for those assembly line workers. This is this is really critical. So we want to uh, be aware of that. Uh, his collaborative efforts, the philosophies that he applied, also helped foster the creation of something else that a lot of us know that's near and dear to our heart. We use it, but we never realize that it was the baby of Frederick Winslow Taylor, Gantt Charts. Who would know that a Gantt chart is something that arose out of somebody's study, a management consultant trying to make things as efficient as possible. So a Gantt chart, you could say, is something that was born out of early UX activities. This man, he believed that the discovery of the best way to work was only achieved if we spent time analyzing the work. Isn't that something that we do today? when we conduct our own ethnographic studies, when we perform a contextual analysis of what somebody is doing, we're trying to observe how they work, trying to understand it, and we want to, out of that, those, those observations, out of that analysis, we want to produce a synthesis that helps us to provide recommendations so everybody will be benefited by the work, the research work that we're doing. So that's Frederick Winslow Taylor for you. Didn't know about him? Well, now you know. This guy is fantastic, and he gave us lots of food for thought. I'm sure there's a lot of information on his work that's out there if you want to 
look at him in more detail, uh, then definitely challenge you to do that. Let's move from 1900 to 1948. In 1948, Toyota launched a series of studies with its employees, and these studies resulted in their optimization of human interaction. So here's a, a, an HMI study definitely related to what we now know as user experience, and this was a focus on the assembly line and how to make things better. So they were doing something similar to what Frederick Winslow Taylor was doing, uh, but it was it was a, a series of studies that they did, very formalistic in its approaches. This was also, again, another ethnographic study, so a lot of these guys were big on ethnography. But it focused on the elimination of waste. Does that sound familiar? And daily improvements. Not just improvements over time, how can we get better today? Then the next day they would come back. How can we get better today? A very granular approach, a very detail-oriented approach. You could even think of this as a forerunner to some elements of the CX process because this study focused on identifying touch points and making those touch points optimal. Very, very key. This study, however, resulted in the creation of what we refer to today in the business world as the just-in-time process. This is a world-renowned way to work, a world-renowned mode of optimization. Very, very critical, very, very important to business today. And where would we be without things such as this? Here's the third person I want to present for your consideration today. A man by the name of Henry Dreyfus. Now, again, this name is probably not familiar to anyone under the sound of my voice right now. But his early work was something that was also critical. He was involved in the creation of the first answering machine. So I know this wasn't all that long ago, but long enough for, for many of us and likely uh, first answering machine was was made before some of the people listening to this podcast were born. But ah, that's another point. Hope you just get a chuckle out of that. But the first answering machine, Dreyfus worked on that. He worked on the Hoover vacuum cleaner. He worked on the Bell telephone. And in all three of these instances, the focus of Henry Dreyfus's work was delighting users. He wanted people to not only use the product, but his goal was to find ways to make sure that the people using these products were, were happy, that they were satisfied, that they were able to accomplish their goals, and that they, they achieved the absolute best that they could do when they engaged with the use of these products. Now, Let's look at his route, though. So that, that's pretty simple, pretty straightforward and to the point. But that's not where Dreyfus started. Dreyfus actually started, he began his career, he was designing sets for stage presentation, for plays. His goal, and another tip of the hat to UX, or the history of UX, if you will, he focused on making sure that the experience that people had when they came to the plays, that they were touched emotionally by the play, 
And even when they were participating in a performance, he wanted to make sure that the engagement was enriching, that it was immersive, that it was unforgettable. Makes you think about today when people talk about delighting users. It's the same thing when you hear it today. So again, a, a quick historical look at what we now know as UX, which of course, in my my stories, when I'm taking people down this historical road, I end this presentation by talking about Donald Norman. That's a name that a lot of us know, right? In 1995, he was a cognitive scientist by trade, but Donald Norman was working for, yes, Apple, and his goal was to help to conduct research that supported the design initiatives for this, let's call it this upcoming line of human-centered products. So your iPods, the, the iPhone didn't come until another 10 years or so, 12 years, about things of that nature. But Apple kept coming out with all of these different products, and he wanted to make sure that, tapping into what we see with Dreyfus, make sure that people are delighted, make sure that people are immersive, make sure, thinking about what Toyota did, that uh, that people were eliminating the waste and, and make sure that there's constant improvement in the experience. When we think about Frederick Winslow Taylor, we want to make sure that people, when they're using these products, that they can be their absolute best when they're engaged and that they use these products to the best of their ability, that we help them achieve their absolute best. We want to see, we want to analyze the way that these people would use these things. And we want to make sure that we deliver on an optimal user experience that makes users just absolutely go gaga when they're using it. I would venture to say Apple achieved that. Donald Norman achieved what he was going after. So can you see the common thread between these, these, these stories? Can you see what people sought out to do what they were doing and how it's no different than what we're trying to do with UX today. Again, when you think about what UX is, think about the ethnographic work and the goals that are supposed to come out of it. Think about how you engage from a research perspective and, and trying to gain trustworthy, reliable data that will translate into some type of action. You want actionable data that will help you to drive what, what the goals of the company achieve, the goals of the users, and to make sure that, that we are marrying those things, that we're aware of the constraints, but we're making sure to drive success. That's the bottom line. If users are successful, the business is successful, the UX professional is successful, we want this scenario where everybody wins. Donald Norman was the first person to ever be referred to as a user experience architect. The first time this title was ever used. And we wanna make sure that we do what we do in the tradition of these four men. Make sure that you press forward in the discipline of UX today and be your absolute best. That's all the time that we have for today. But until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of the World of UX. Happy UXing everybody.
Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.